Father, thank you for calling us to know you and thank you for calling us to be part of your people. We pray that you guide us, strengthen us and enable us to love you and to love one another. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning to think together about the Living in Love and Faith initiative. It's a national initiative. Uh, it's one that the Church of England has asked all Church of England churches to look at. It's been commended by our archbishops and it's also been commended by our bishop, Bishop David. So we are looking at this uh, uh, in obedience to uh, what they have suggested, uh, but also because um, as um, David intimated in his, um, uh, in his in the conversation we had, it's a it's a subject uh, about which, uh, as a church, perhaps at St Christopher's, we have said very little, um, and uh, it's a conversation that we've not really had. And it's probably because we and and many other Christians know that this is not an easy conversation. It's a conversation about which people will disagree. We. We found, didn't we, that last year we, we had a really good conversation around the Black Lives Matter um, campaign and the issues that arose from that. And I think many of us, and I, I put myself very much in the middle of that, um, learnt an enormous amount uh, about uh, what it means to be um, black or Asian uh, in our culture and in other parts of the world um, and the way in which the church has fallen short um, of its call to treat everyone uh, equally. That was a good conversation and there was much to learn together. I hope that this will be a good conversation and there will be much to learn together. But because it is likely to be a difficult conversation, a conversation as I say where there are disagreements, part of the, um, of the Living in Love and Faith initiative itself is to provide principles and if you like, they're almost like, um, if you can imagine a, um, a football or a, a hockey pitch, um, uh, some sporting pitch, um, there, are, there are edges to it. And if the ball goes over those edges, it goes out. It's out of play. Um, and it's almost as if the church has, has given us these principles to, to, to be the edges of this debate. Um, we have this debate within this, um, within these principles. And um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about them uh, individually, not for the next couple of weeks, because we've got um, a couple of special occasions coming up. Um, Philippa is preaching next week as part of her reader training, and I'm really excited about that. And then the week after, we have a, a Pentecost celebration. So it'll be towards the end of the month that we begin uh, to look at them uh, properly and fully. As I said, this is a conversation that may be difficult, but I do believe that it is a conversation that is important to have. It's a conversation that does matter. I think one of the processes of learning that, that perhaps um, certainly people of my generation have begun is to realise that for too long, people of LGBT or different sexual orientations have been stigmatised and traumatised in our society. I don't know if you've seen the film The Imitation Game, when Benedict Cumberbatch plays Alan Turing, who was a code breaker 
in the Second World War. And uh, he was an incredibly intelligent man and a man who served our nation and a man who helped to break um, codes in the Second World War, will have saved hundreds, if not thousands of lives. He was also homosexual and because of one encounter, he ultimately uh, was criminalised, um, was forced to take um, uh, sort of drugs to try to uh, dampen down his homosexuality and ultimately he took his own life. This happens in general society, but it also happens in the church. Shame and guilt have so often been the experience of people who have found themselves to be of a different sexual orientation. Um, I read this book a little while ago called Undivided uh, by a, a young woman called Vicky Beeching, and she describes her growth, her, her adolescence and her adult life as a very committed Christian and somebody who realised from very early on that she simply was not attracted to, to young men, but only to women. This is just a few words that she's written. In my anxiety, I created long, detailed prayers that I would recite to myself each time I felt attracted to a girl. It was my own private liturgy, my internal confession booth, in which I told God how sorry I was ten times a day. My mind became a complex place, a far cry from the mind of the simple happy child I had been before. Friends in my class noticed a change in my previously carefree personality. <clears throat> I became aloof and felt awkward in my own skin. I slouched my shoulders and didn't look people in the eye. I began throwing my packed lunches away and stopped eating during school hours. I didn't know how to relate to my body anymore. It seemed to be betraying me with its sinful desires, so I wanted, so I didn't want <clears throat> to give it food. My flesh and blood were now the enemy. I was fighting a battle against myself. Surely that cannot be the right experience for a young person to go through. The pain of hiding away shame and guilt a bit like Adam and Eve hiding in the Garden of Eden and as this book explains there are many experiences many circumstances in which Christian young people who have found that they have had same-sex attraction have attempted to take their own lives and sometimes have succeeded so this conversation does matter. For some people it is a matter of life and death. But as I've said it is a difficult subject. It's one about which Christians disagree in this country and around the world. I know just a, a tiny tiny little glimpse of, of, of our Christian brothers and sisters in Africa for whom this is a very um, sort of fervent subject and they believe passionately that homosexuality is sinful and is wrong and should be rejected at every level and as Christians in the West it is right that we are humble and we listen to that voice but it is only one voice in what I hope will be a conversation a conversation 
in which we will disagree. But you know what? Christians are surprisingly bad at disagreeing with each other. We have a rather frightening habit of writing each other off. We start calling each other names like liberal or conservative or traditional or old-fashioned. We start to label one another and put each other in camps. It is utterly against what St Paul exhorts and pleads with the church to do in the first centuries. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And there then comes this remarkable sort of waterfall of, of unifying elements. Paul wants us to know that there is only one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We are all united because we belong to these things. So whenever we disagree, we remember that there is an immense amount more about which we do agree. And if we can hold on to those things, then we can begin to have an honest conversation, a conversation in which we can begin to exchange our views and to search together for what is God's voice and God's spirit to us. Because Paul is also clear that as a Christian community, the church here to which he is writing, and I'm sure we would want to say, is that we are not perfect. We are not fully mature. We are not yet reflecting the image of God that we see in Christ. We have a journey to go on. And he says in verse 13, until, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are not there yet. We have a journey to go on. So I hope that over the next few weeks we will begin to think together about these pastoral principles. I'm just going to show them to you so that um, you know I'm not um, just talking um, complete nonsense. These are the six pastoral principles that we are going to look at over the next few weeks and I hope that as we take on board these pastoral principles, we will be enabled to have the kind of conversation about this issue that surely St Paul would plead with us to have, about speaking the truth in love, about maintaining our unity, about remembering all that holds us together. And when we remember those things, then we can speak to one another. And I want us to know, I want our church to know that whatever view you have on these issues, it is valid and valuable. It can be heard. There's no sense that only a particular voice can be spoken in this debate. We are all together, united under Christ, and each and every one of us has a voice and we can speak. So nobody will be dismissed. Nobody will be sort of put on the naughty corner. Nobody will say, well, those views, um, they're not appropriate. Everyone 
has a voice and we will learn from one another just as we have done in the Black Lives Matter discussion. We will learn and we will grow and we will come closer to Christ. I don't know what will come out of this. I don't know what changes it might bring in our church and in the church nationally. I honestly don't know. I love the Lord and I love his word and I want to be guided by the Spirit. If we can all come together in that way, then surely this is a conversation that will bless us, will bless our church and hopefully will bless many other people. Amen.